Carol Waugh was a woman of mystery. On the outside, the glamorous, fit, and charming 49-year-old seemed to be set for life and the picture of success. She lived in a luxurious 650,000-pound flat in Marleybone, central London. For years, Carol had lived in Tripoli, Libya, where she worked for an oil company. But in 2008, she moved back to her native England. Carol was always full of stories, stories of exotic men, dangerous connections, and money. According to The Guardian, Carol was, quote, fond of her Cartier jewelry and liked to tell people about her close links to the Gaddafi family, whom she claimed to have met while working as an accounts clerk in Libya, end quote. Some members of her family seemed to suspect that she slightly exaggerated how fabulous her life was. They felt that she might be a little bit lonely. Some people familiar with the case described Carol as a Walter Mitty character. They meant that she may have been a little bit of a fantasist and have a tendency to exaggerate things to make her life seem more interesting than it was. But when she disappeared in April 2012, investigators soon found out that Carol was hiding multiple secrets. Secrets about her sex life and secrets about her real source of income after she moved back home. The search for Carol would lead police to career con man Rakesh Bayani and his sidekick, Nicholas Kuttner. Some newspapers nicknamed them the real-life Dirty Rotten Scoundrels after the 80s movie starring Steve Martin and Michael Caine as a pair of grifters who target wealthy women in the south of France. Except that this wasn't a lighthearted comedy. After Carol's body was found stashed in the trunk of a Volkswagen Golf at a garage in South London, this case turned into a horror movie. I'm Katherine Townsend. This is Red Collar. had always been an independent woman who seemed to live by her own set of rules. She was single and had worked on her own in North Africa for almost a decade. But she did have routines. She kept in touch with her family and called them every few days. On April 9th, Carol's family saw her for what would be the last time. She was taking a train from the family home in Durham to London, according to The Independent. Shortly after that, she seemed to disappear without a trace. By May, when no one had heard from her, her family contacted the Metropolitan Police. A police officer went to her apartment on Harrowby Street, which is a very posh neighborhood. Former Prime Minister Tony Blair and his wife Cherie lived nearby. The officer looked around, but they reportedly found nothing that would have been a red flag. No signs of a struggle. Everything seemed to be in place. There were no obvious signs of foul play. So with nothing else to go on, the family was forced to wait, according to The Independent. Then they learned something else. For weeks, a stranger had apparently been posing as Carol's brother, Christopher Waugh. The imposter was calling real estate agents and was apparently trying to sell Carol's flat. Also, money seemed to be disappearing from her accounts at a rapid rate. The imposter was also trying to rent the flat out and even took 7,000 pounds from a prospective tenant. But in his haste and greed, he reportedly offered the flat to two different sets of tenants, 
And when all of the tenants turned up at the same time and figured out that they had been duped, they called the police. On July 13th, police arrested the man who had been pretending to be Chris. His name was Nicholas Kuttner, and his arrest and the money trail would lead police straight to his partner in crime, Rakesh Bayani. Detectives started looking into Carol's accounts, and they discovered that hundreds of thousands of pounds were missing. This included the 5,000 pounds she had in cash stashed around the house, and at least 50,000 that she had in savings, which brought up another question. Carol had been earning a salary that was reportedly between 20 and 30,000 pounds, and she had no mortgage on her flat. How had she gotten that much money in the bank in the first place? Carol Waugh was born on June 20th, 1962. Most people in the U.S. have probably heard about big cities in the north of England, like Manchester and Liverpool. But they may not know that parts of the English north are kind of like the U.S. south. There are lots of farming communities and small towns where everyone knows everyone, places where life moves a little bit slower. Her dad died when she was young, so she was raised by her mother in a working-class home. After Carol left school, she worked a variety of secretarial jobs. In 1998, before she went abroad to Libya, Carol bought her flat. And how she got the funding for that flat is one of the many mysteries in this case. In 2000, she got a job in Libya working as a payroll clerk for Veba Oil. According to BBC News, Carol, quote, earned a reputation as a private woman who preferred to stay out late at night with the locals rather than her work colleagues, end quote. Carol was striking. One newspaper described her as leggy, and she had long blonde hair that made her stand out, especially in Libya, where a lot of women cover their hair. But also, her bold manner and her alleged affair with a married man at one point made her the source of some gossip. As a Muslim country, alcohol was banned in Libya. But some of the expats who worked with Carol told journalists that there were ways around this. They would meet up at running clubs and social events, sometimes barbecues and parties, where they would make their own bootleg alcohol kits. According to the Daily Mail, all the secretaries who worked for the company were offered employee housing. Carol lived in a one-bedroom bungalow on the outskirts of Tripoli. She was actually neighbors with one of Gaddafi's sons. Now, this could be the link to Gaddafi that she told her friends about, but it's not clear from media reports if the two actually knew each other. According to The Independent, Carol's salary then was around 24,000 pounds per year. The Daily Mail reported that Carol's colleagues also thought that she was somewhat of an enigma. They said she claimed that she had a wealthy Egyptian husband who had died and left her money. She carried super expensive Gucci luggage. And she talked about owning Harley-Davidson motorcycles and a flat behind Harrods in Knightsbridge. Knightsbridge, by the way, is one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in London. The closest comparison to Knightsbridge in America is probably Fifth Avenue in Manhattan or maybe Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. The Daily Mail did a full investigation into Carol's life. One former colleague told the Daily Mail, quote, none of us could work out why she had come to Libya to work for just 24,000 pounds a year if she was already so wealthy, end quote. In the mid-naughties, Carol left Faba and went to work at another company, MSL Oil Services, but in 2008, Carol left Libya pretty suddenly. And her former boss later told journalists that she wrote to him after leaving her job. She said she left because she received threats from someone in a position of power. He said he wasn't sure whether to believe that story or not. 
You never seem to know with Carol. You never seem to get the full story. As detectives continued their investigation, a forensic team went to Carol's flat. They found bloodstains there. And after they tested the body in the back of the car, they concluded that Carol had been stabbed to death. She had been killed by a single knife wound to the neck. The homicide and serious crime team, led by Detective Chief Inspector John McFarlane, had taken over. They discovered that Nicholas wasn't the only impersonator. Detectives learned that there were multiple women who had been pretending to be Carol. They were using her credit cards and showing up at her bank to get a loan. Someone using Carol's identity had also bought gold bullion and South African Krugerrands. Someone was trying to erase Carol and steal her life. So police started to question her friends, her family, and her business contacts. After Carol went home to the UK, she did establish a routine. Carol, an avid runner, continued her morning jogs in Hyde Park. She didn't seem to have many close friends, but she was very close to her mother. They would go to Royal Albert Hall to see concerts, and she would buy her mom jewelry. Carol loved jewelry as well. Detectives referred to her impressive collection, and they said that many of the pieces were missing. This included a Cartier ring and two Cartier love bracelets. The Cartier love bracelet is a classic design. They come with a special screw, and once you put it on, it requires a screw to remove it. It's supposed to symbolize eternal love. Carol had two, one white gold and one yellow gold. So with no mortgage, Carol didn't need much money to live on, but she did have expensive tastes. And it wasn't long before she found an alternative source of income to fund those tastes, sex with strangers. As detectives continued, they found more and more potential evidence that Carol had been moonlighting as a sex worker. She listed her services on multiple casual sex websites. These included sites like Craigslist, Seeking Arrangement, Sugar Daddy, Illicit Encounters, and eHarmony. Using the pseudonym Sarah and Posh Toddy Fun, she described herself as, quote, not a professional, but with girlfriend experience, interested in lots of good, clean, adult fun, end quote. Many men responded to her ads, and she seemed to make a lot of money. Then, one day, she met Rakesh Biani on the site Gumtree.com. Carol had no way of knowing that Rakesh was a serial con man with a nasty gambling addiction. Newspapers called him the Mad Indian Gambler. He seemed to think that he was James Bond, but in reality, Rakesh was terrible at gambling. He lost everything. He was diminutive, just five feet, four inches tall, and heavy set, but he had the gift of charm. At his trial, he claimed that he started gambling when he was just eight years old, on slot machines at fairgrounds. According to BBC News, at one point he did get a legitimate job at an accounting firm, but he was forced to resign after he was caught faking expenses. Like many red-collar and white-collar criminals, I'm always surprised by how elaborate these scams are. If these guys put a tenth of the energy that they put into their scams into a legitimate job, some of them could actually be really successful. At one point, Rakesh reportedly owned a gas station, but he ended up losing it due to his addiction. He tried to get out of the hole by mortgaging his parents' home, but ended up losing that money too. Rakesh had other scams going, check forging, check bouncing, identity theft, and counterfeiting. Shortly before he met Carol, Rakesh used the fake money to try and persuade the manager of a betting shop 
to let him put a 100,000-pound bet on premiership football match. The manager seemed to suspect that something wasn't right and refused. But Rakesh didn't give up. He went on to gamble all of that money on golfer Phil Mickelson to win in the final round of the 2012 U.S. Masters. But Mickelson lost, and Rakesh lost his pile of counterfeit cash. By this point, Rakesh had racked up 45 fraud convictions. He was deeply in debt. His marriage was failing, and he was desperate for cash. It was around this time, investigators say, that he went online and struck up a friendship with Carol. None of the scams that he'd relied on for his entire life seemed to be working anymore. He kept digging a deeper and deeper hole. And it was a vicious cycle. The more depressed he got, the more money he seemed to lose. Like many con men, Rakesh, who lived with his wife and young daughter, was leading a double life. As his affair with Carol intensified, at some point, his wife reportedly gave him an ultimatum. Deal with the gambling addiction or face divorce. So he had an idea. Not counseling or introspection or anything that would require any actual work, but the launch of another complex scam. This time, he had a partner in crime, 48-year-old Nicholas Kuttner. So as Carol's relationship with Rakesh went from client and sex worker to more boyfriend and girlfriend, their affair got more serious. Rakesh started to ask Carol for money. First, he wanted 12,000 pounds to help him with his gambling addiction, according to him. Later, she gave him 40,000 pounds. She continued to support Rakesh, even when he was sent to prison, and even wrote a letter of reference that called him one of the good guys. But at some point, Carol wanted her money back. She demanded that Rakesh repay the loans and threatened to expose his double life to his family. Rakesh knew that he had to get rid of her. Investigators had learned that the imposter who was impersonating Chris Waugh, whom they'd identified as Nicholas Kuttner, had put Carol's flat on the market for 750,000 pounds. Nicholas was already known to police. Rakesh met Nicholas, a fellow gambling addict and criminal, in jail, and he had introduced Nicholas to Carol. Rakesh had a flair for the dramatic. Sometimes he would pretend to be different people. One of his favorite personas was a cardiologist from the prestigious St. Mary's Hospital in Paddington. An escort who spent time with Rakesh would later tell the court that she had been with him at a casino at around the time of Carol's murder. She said that he told her that he lost a patient that he had been operating on. She said that Rakesh's game of choice was roulette and told the court that he peeled 50-pound notes from a big pile of cash. She remembered him losing a lot of money. And whenever he did hit a big score, which he reportedly did at the Playboy Club when he won 71,000 pounds in a single night, he never seemed to know when to walk away. The next day, he lost 72,000 pounds at the same club. At one point, Rakesh was banned from every Ladbrokes, which is a UK betting shop, in the country. Rakesh had a lot of very complicated scams going, but he wasn't above doing the simple ones. Sometimes he would steal suits and then return them to get cash back. In 1997, a friend asked Rakesh to house it for him. Rakesh stole his stuff, cleaned out his bank accounts, and stole his identity. He stole from his family, too. In addition to the remortgaging he did of his parents' home, he also remortgaged his brother's home without the brother knowing about it. In December, he conned 36,000 pounds from a friend, 
and 6,000 pounds from a brother-in-law in a bogus business venture. Each time, he gambled away the money as soon as it was in his pocket. Eventually, he was given an 18-month sentence for two offenses of making a false representation when he used counterfeit checks to get gambling chips. He was released from this sentence just weeks before Carol died. In some ways, Nicholas and Rakesh were, as my British friends would say, chalk and cheese, meaning that they were total opposites. In my experience, narcissistic con men tend to come in two flavors. They're either rude and obnoxious and entitled, or so charming and sweet that they come off as kind of oily. Rakesh tried to charm, while Nicholas favored verbal abuse and was known for being rude. He abused staff at the hotels where he stayed, according to Court News UK. For example, he demanded that hotel workers address him as Mr. K, and he would scream at anyone who forgot. His drink of choice was a Grey Goose vodka with Schweppes Bitter Lemon. And if he didn't get his drink made correctly, he would fly into a rage. Like his partner in crime, Nicholas was no oil painting. He had a receding hairline and acne scars, but he did dress nicely. He loved custom-made Savile Row suits. One newspaper story quoted an acquaintance of his who called him a dandy. Nicholas was also a gambling addict and consummate grifter. He had a rap sheet dating back over 20 years with multiple fraud convictions. Many of Nicholas's frauds involved buying and selling jewelry. He was also known to take on various personas. One of his favorites was the character of a wine merchant. And like so many white and red collar criminals, including his friend Rakesh, Nicholas targeted those closest to him. He also stole from someone he house-sitted for. In his case, it was a former girlfriend. He stole another lover's bank card and pulled several hundred pounds out of an ATM. When the former girlfriend broke up with him, he bought her an engagement ring to make it up to her, but he later pawned it and went gambling. Nicholas also involved other people in his scams. He had a friend pose as a psychotherapist who told one of his former girlfriends that he had been cured of his gambling addiction. Then he went on to use her name to buy 5,000 pounds worth of vintage wines. Nicholas and Rakesh would pull a similar scam with Rakesh's wife. Nicholas posed as a caseworker and told her that he was taking Rakesh for treatment. He would even make fake case reports. It was very elaborate. They even borrowed a flat in Kinsel Rise that they used as a clinic, where Rakesh was supposedly staying during the week. Side note, according to Rakesh, this flat actually belonged to another infamous fraudster who was on the run in Cyprus. Rakesh told Carol a similar sob story. He said that he needed cash for treatment for his gambling addiction. Early in their relationship, he would ask her for smaller sums of money, and he would actually repay those small amounts. But this was a classic con game, because by repaying her the small amounts of money, he was setting Carol up for the big score the one that would eventually get her killed. Between the two of them, Rakesh and Nicholas had racked up nearly 200 offenses. They saw Carol as an opportunity to finally hit the million-pound jackpot of their dreams. But Carol was threatening to expose Rakesh, so the con men were running out of time. In April 2012, they made their move. Prosecutors have said that they believe there is strong evidence that Carol was murdered on April 16th. Rakesh and Nicholas were both inside the flat that night, investigators say, but police believe that Rakesh is the one who attacked Carol and plunged the knife into her neck. After she was dead, 
Rakesh knew that he had to get rid of the body. And he had a plan for that. He found a homeless man and presumably paid him to go out and get an oversized bag. After loading Carol's body into the bag and putting the bag into the trunk, Rakesh and Nicholas parked the car and took two young women out on the town. They both checked into luxury hotels. So by April 20th, three days after the murder, Rakesh and Nicholas were busy spending Carol's money. Rakesh had booked himself into number five Cavendish Square, a five-star hotel with a casino, and immediately started hitting the tables. Nicholas's companion was a sugar baby college student, and they booked a room at the Sanderson Hotel, known for its Philippe Stark minimalist decor and lavender martinis. And all this time, Carol's body was still stashed inside the car. At first, they parked the car in an underground parking lot behind the John Lewis store in Cavendish Square. Now, this is right in the middle of central London, right next to Oxford Street, which is the main shopping street. The thought that hundreds of thousands of shoppers were passing right by where Carol's body was sitting in that trunk is just horrific. Then the two men got into the car and went on a road trip. They both checked in to a luxury hotel in the Cotswolds. They had a sinister motive for their weekend break. They were planning to burn Carol's body there. Rakesh and Nicholas decided against getting rid of Carol's body in the Cotswolds. Instead, they kept the body in the trunk. Eventually, Rakesh moved the body to the garage where it was found on May 21st. Once they were back in London, Rakesh and Nicholas wasted no time in ransacking Carol's flat so they could sell her stuff, including the jewelry that she loved. They cleaned out her bank accounts. They even took money that she had put aside for her niece. They took around 350,000 pounds, according to investigators. But they didn't stop there. They had another idea. They wanted to use Carol's flat as collateral so they could get another 200,000-pound loan. And it worked. Police discovered that the loan had gone through after a woman with Carol's ID, who said that her name was Carol, had gone into her bank to ask for the loan. But investigators quickly deduced that this had happened after they believed Carol was already dead. So who was the mystery woman in the bank? Once they got the loan, Rakesh went back to the casino. He lost the entire 200,000 pounds within a few weeks. So their last hope was selling Carol's most expensive asset, her flat in Marleybone. It was time for Nicholas to get into character and start playing the role of Chris Waugh. And that's what he was doing when he tried to rent the flat out. But his scheme was uncovered after the tenants showed up at the same time on July 13th. They called the police and Nicholas was arrested. Police arrested Rakesh at Heathrow Airport when he was coming back from a holiday in Majorca with his ex-wife and daughter. Almost immediately, the two former friends turned on each other. When police confronted him with the evidence, Rakesh admitted to defrauding Carol, but insisted that he had not killed her. In fact, he claimed that he had no idea she was dead. He said that Nicholas had killed Carol and that he was shocked when he met Nicholas at a Cafe Nero, a chain coffee shop on Edgware Road, and Nicholas admitted to killing her. Rakesh told police that he had been afraid to call them because he knew that the police could link him to the fraud, and he feared that this would implicate him in Carol's murder. At the trial, Rakesh took the stand in his own defense. He told the court that Nicholas was in a very bad physical way when he met him at that coffee shop. Nicholas had told him, we're in deep Rakesh said that he asked what happened. 
Then he said that Nicholas told him, Carol's dead. He said, quote, he was telling me that Carol is dead in her flat, and it just seemed like the world had stopped really at that moment, end quote. Rakesh said that he and Nicholas went to Carol's flat the next day on April 17th. He said that he saw Carol's body under the bed, but he said that he didn't notice any obvious injuries. He said, quote, I'm in a panic. I've never really seen a dead body before in my life. I was nearly physically sick at that moment. Just the smell, what I was seeing, I couldn't really deal with it, end quote. He also said that it was Nicholas who held Carol's legs and tried to stuff her into the oversized bag. He said that while they were struggling with the body, she wouldn't fit, so I opened the bag wider. But prosecutors said that the murder had actually been carefully planned by Rakesh. Police discovered that Rakesh and Nicholas had enlisted the help of several other people in their scam. This included two Barclays Bank employees, who, according to Rakesh, helped convince Carol that he was planning to repay her. They even made up fake documents. They also uncovered the identity of the women who had used Carol's credit cards and gone into the bank to ask for the loan. According to the Brent and Kilburn Times, Rakesh hired Deborah Burke and Elaine Perkins to take out a loan and cash checks on Carol's accounts. They gave the women some of Carol's credit cards, and the women went on shopping sprees in stores, including the iconic department store Selfridges and the Westfield Shopping Mall. Then, after spending Carol's cash and maxing out her credit cards, when the two con men went on to the next step in their evil plan, which was securing the loan using Carol's flat as collateral, they got Elaine to help. Elaine even wore colored contact lenses and styled her hair like Carol when she went to the bank to ask for the money. Another woman was taken to a hotel and asked to practice copying Carol's signature. A few months after Carol's murder, they had this woman apply for another credit card in Carol's name. In total, 10 people were arrested in all. As we said before, these were complex schemes involving multiple moving parts. An attorney for the woman who made the credit card application told the court that his client knew nothing about Carol's death. They stated, quote, her role was being one of a number of women recruited to impersonate Carol Waugh, end quote. Her attorney said that she had been behind on her rent and basically participated in the scam out of desperation. For her part in the scam, she got 100 pounds, lunch money, and use of a rental car. When she figured out that she was holding a dead woman's passport, the woman immediately agreed to help police. At trial, Rakesh continued to deny any involvement in Carol's murder, but he admitted to perverting the course of justice and conspiracy to defraud. He was found guilty of Carol's murder and given a life sentence. Now in the UK, life doesn't always mean life in the same way that it does in the US, but Rakesh was ordered to serve a minimum of 27 years. Nicholas was found not guilty of murder, but he was found guilty of perverting the course of justice by concealing Carol's death. He was jailed for a total of 13 years. He was sentenced to seven years for perverting the course of justice and six years for conspiracy to defraud. Before the sentencing, a statement from Carol's family was read in court. According to BBC News, her family described her as loving, supportive, and great fun. Carol's brother Chris said that he and Carol had had a good relationship, although she had been secretive. He told the Daily Mail that in hindsight, he was embarrassed by how little he knew about her private life. It was obvious that Carol's murder devastated her entire family. Chris said of Rakesh and Nicholas, quote, 
They will sleep easily in their beds as they showed no remorse at all. I just can't envisage any human being treating another human being like that, end quote. He said that he'd been frustrated by what he believed to be the police's delay in taking action. He said, according to BBC News, quote, Right up to July, the police did not take our concern seriously. They thought Carol was a grown woman out enjoying herself with friends, end quote. The statement read in court also asked the question, why did the authorities not take her disappearance seriously? Detective Chief Inspector Justin Davies of Scotland Yard said, quote, Carol Waugh's murder was the senseless killing of a woman who put her trust in people she thought were her friends. Both men are compulsive liars who have deceived and defrauded their own families, friends, and acquaintances throughout their entire adult lives. They went to extreme lengths to defraud Carol, end quote. The judge in the case agreed. He said that Rakesh had ruthlessly targeted Carol and left her body to rot. The judge told Rakesh, quote, you dumped her body in a bag in the boot of an old car. You then left it in various car parks and laterally left her body to rot in a bag, in a car, in a lockup garage. These actions, dismissive and disrespectful of the remains of a woman who regarded you as a friend, demonstrated your utter greed, callousness, and total lack of any regard or respect for your victim. Your actions in persisting with your fraud after killing her were breathtakingly wicked, and nonetheless so because you were almost bound, eventually, to be identified as the perpetrator. Your compulsion to feed your addictions to risk-taking and gambling and your amorality and selfishness overwhelmed any notion of decency or restraint." End quote. The court heard that Carol's mother, who she'd been so close to, collapsed and died just five days after Carol's funeral. Her family said she was brokenhearted. The judge used a very interesting phrase to describe what Rakesh had done to Carol. He said that Rakesh had performed asset stripping of her persona. And this really does describe what so many red car criminals do to their victims. He victimized Carol in life, and he continued to do so after her death. He took her money, he took her life, and then after that, he took her legacy. One detective who helped track down the con men summed them up perfectly. He said, quote, they were exactly like the two con men in the Steve Martin film, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but one was a killer too. They were very nasty men without a single shred of conscience, end quote. Red Collar is an AudioChuck original podcast. Research and writing by me, Katherine Townsend, with production assistance from Alyssa Gostola and Resonate Recordings. You can find all of our source material for this episode on our website, redcollarpodcast.com. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Oh.